0: Welcome to coffeeis.me podcast, where me means you, or more precisely, us. This is the show where your host, Valerian, without using any interrogation techniques, convinces coffee professionals to reveal their secrets to teach and inspire you to make better coffee and earn a few bucks
1: on the side, if that's what you fancy. Let the show begin. Welcome, Coffee is Me listeners, to another episode of our podcast about coffee, coffee business, and other interesting think of th- things of life. Today, uh, I have a guest who I should have much, much sooner, but I failed. So first of all, I have to apologize for them, because they are uh, long time listeners. And they are awesome people and we met in person. Uh, so welcome to Matt and Anja Schondorf from Cafe de Leche
0: hey thanks for having
2: us thank you for having us
1: thank you guys for coming on and i really apologize because we planned this like what three four years ago
0: (laughs) a while it's been a while yeah
1: we're not even going to put years on that
0: (laughs) time is very fluid
1: uh yeah especially in california right we are the kind of a more relaxed state.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm in a constant state of relaxation,
1: (laughs) especially with a small business, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Awesome. As you can hear, guys, this this interview will be pretty fun. Uh, I know you guys personally and and I always had a great time at, at your cafe in LA. But before we dive into your business, you know, I always have this warm up question and this way we kind of know more about you and That is, do you remember your first coffee?
2: I do, actually. Um, And I was thinking about this question uh, earlier uh, today. Um, I was actually um, still living in Costa Rica. I was 10 years old. And I was in the kitchen. It was in the morning. And my mom was making coffee not the way I was raised drinking it, which is, you know, typically in Latin America... Uh, the good coffee gets sent out and we we like drinking instant coffee and so I grew up drinking instant coffee with milk basically cafe de leche and uh, my mom said you know I'm just making black coffee uh, you know the the, the way they used to make it back in the day with the sock and a little pot that it's been in the family for like years and years and it's like burn at the bottom because you use it so much uh, and I tried it and I was like, What is this? <laughs> and I remember not liking it, not liking it. I, I drank it straight up black with nothing in it, and yeah, that was my first memory of having actually first, the first time, very first time I had
1: it. Before we move on to Matt, uh, I forgot to mention that you guys are married in business and in real life, and you're coming from Costa Rica.
2: Uh, I'm originally from Nicaragua, was mm. born in Nicaragua at the age of five years old. My parents moved to Costa Rica, so I grew up part of my childhood in Costa Rica. In uh, my teenage years, I grew up in Glendale, California.
1: Where did you find
0: Matt?
2: I found Matt.
0: I was wandering. <laughs> I was lost until she uh, found me. I knew that's I the
2: I found him in Highland Park, and I'm like, "What is this gringo doing here?" I'm like, "What is he in Highland Park?" And he's like, "You are kidding me? It's lovely here." I'm like, uh, "Yeah, but you know, you have to understand Highland Park—the the history. You know, it's, it's mainly Latino community, and I mean, you don't—you didn't see that many white people back in the day. <laughs> so I was like, "Why?" here exactly uh he bought his first home uh in highland park about 21 years ago and he was uh my best friend moved in because he was renting a room and moved in with him and he she introduced us and that's how everything started in highland park california 20 years ago
0: she walked through my front door and it was one of those uh you know one of those god moments when the when the angels sing and the light kind of like pierces through you know i mean the doorway so yeah it was it was a it was a wonderful moment she walked she walked through my front door and it was it was a a magical experience it it really was it was like a love at first sight kind of situation it's kind of amazing
1: how about your first cup of coffee
0: um i do remember a friend of mine in high school got a job at um i think it was coffee bean and tea leaf and that was definitely the first, like, probably espresso machine I ever saw in my life. I didn't understand any of it. Um, I, I'd never heard of it, you know, it, uh, as I'm sure anyone, like, near my age remembers, like, espresso wasn't a thing in the States, at least not in, I grew up in Southern California, I grew up in Ventura. Um, it, it wasn't a, a, you know, nowadays, there's Starbucks in every corner. There was, there was no, there was no espresso culture. I mean, in Europe, I know that that's, You know, obviously where it came from and where it's been around for generations, but there was nothing like that um, where I grew up, and so I I remember getting like a mocha or something like that, you know. And uh, maybe in the '80s, we went. There was a cafe in Hollywood. If you're familiar with Hollywood or or not at all, there's off of Hollywood Boulevard. There's this little side street that has this big mural of like all these movie stars sitting together in a movie theater, like this kind of fantasized uh, idea of you know, Marilyn Monroe sitting next to James Dean. And there was like a a, 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 a cafe in that building. I remember us driving all the way to Hollywood, which would be like an hour and a half for us drive down there for, at night, you know, cause it's like second wave coffee. With the, Back in the day was like, I don't know. It wasn't always about the coffee really. It was more like there was probably like some kind of entertainment there or, or something. And, and we drove there and I didn't know what it was. It was like espresso and it had all this mystical kind of, Thing around it of how you know you'd call it rocket fuel, and it was supposed to be this you know magical thing, which it is kind of, but um, it was uh, it was something I didn't understand very much, you know.
1: And now today you are doing uh, two cafes, and you're retailing, right? You guys are roasting your own beans. How how did you get there? I mean. Where was the idea born? I'm, I never asked this question uh, enough, I think, on this podcast, but it's like, where was the idea born that, first of all, what did you do, do before? And when did you decide that, okay, I'm doing a coffee business?
0: Well, we, I mean, when Anja and I met, shoes work, we were both kind of working in entertainment because we live in Los Angeles, right? So it's like, it's the industry
1: um so either so if if you are living in la you are either working in entertainment or you are a waiter and it, it's
0: it, it, it's a huge stereotype <laughs> and it's also like yeah it, it,
1: it's real yeah it is real
0: and working entertainment is a very wide spectrum right like i worked on um photo shoots a lot i was a photo assistant for like magazines, celebrity stuff and Anja worked at universal um universal studios basically in uh post-production and editing and um she can like uh kind of expand on that a little bit but um we we were both working in uh in the entertainment industry and we you know um had met and married and had um uh, our daughter at that point and i think well as far as i mean she can probably expand a little bit more on when we first got the idea for coffee but
2: i think that you know we we both like you know enjoyed it coffee good coffee uh very very much so and and even before we had our first daughter uh, we you know we would always you know talk about you know oh my gosh there's no coffee shops around you know our neighborhood in Highland Park we always have to drive outside our you know community to go get a good cup of coffee so at the time we were dating and and um we we were in Costa Rica vacationing and Uh, remember being in this I remember being in this little hotel like kind of like a hostel and we're like it it started talking about it again uh, how you know like about the idea of opening a cafe in Highland Park and I remember we had a notepad and started drawing like uh, our branding and coming up with ideas and just got really excited in that little teeny room and and I don't even know where that that is now that that notepad is but um so we left it at that in and we never we got busy we got back to the states and never you know talked about it because we just life just happened right and uh, a few years later yeah we we got married we got our first child and then we just had the opportunity and the funds to to made our make our you know, our dream or the idea that started in Costa Rica um, come true. And that's, yeah, that's what we did. Uh, what, we had no clue of what we were doing. We just knew that it was kind of r- romanticizing with the idea of having your own business, you know, and not knowing exactly where we're, I, I don't know where we were going to take it. Uh, exactly or how is it gonna it was just really just us going like we're opening a business and it's gonna be coffee and uh, and that's it I think that was about it yeah I mean admit. Lauren,
0: I, I listened to the um, episode I think it was your last episode that you published about the, the woman that bought the uh, coffee business from you and, and yeah and you yeah, made yeah. some kind of reference to like she has to not know what she's getting into to like make to, like start on this journey and that was absolutely our case you know what i mean like i don't want to say that we yeah. wouldn't have done it if we know everything that it entailed but we were incredibly ignorant you know of uh i mean we it's not yeah it's not like we're <laughs> we ignorant were of the coffee business we were ignorant of business like i'd never I, we, we're we, not we yeah people. i mean we never but... had experience in it i didn't i didn't even finish college you know what i mean like i i we have always work for other people um
2: we didn't finish yeah, college. It, it, Either it, one of us finished college, so it was uh basically me, uh, Matt. It, it's it, you. Know, if you don't have to finish college to be just naturally smart, my husband's an incredibly smart businessman naturally. I know he's humble about it, but he's just naturally a very business-oriented person. And and uh and I think I brought my street smart, you know my my ability to navigate the world, you know, and bring like like different views of, you know, just again, street smart, and also working for other people, I work in a corporate environment. So I transferred my knowledge of managing people to our business. And so, uh, but again, like Matt is saying, we, we just did not we didn't know exactly what we were doing.
1: It's not only with Kelly, but it's exactly the same story of uh, Green Plantation, my European brand. And when we started Unish Coffee before we sold it to Kelly. Like when it comes to Green Plantation, it was my first business and we were totally ignorant. We didn't, did not know what's going to happen. We didn't, we, didn't, we just like, I think it's a great idea. Let's just, you know, start roast coffee. And when it comes to Anish coffee, it was a bit different because by then I was smart. When it comes to business, you know, I had experience everything. William, uh, my business partner, he's super educated. He has schools. And yet we missed the street smart. <laughs> so you guys, you guys are ahead. I mean, having a street smart, who cares about college? Honestly, like I have university, but who cares about that? Because I never really had fun. Attending, and I have a lot of good friends from there, but I never really used it in real life. (laughs) So I have to everything about I had to learn about business, or I have to do uh, anything I had to learn about managing a business or doing a business. I had to relearn from real life, you know. So I don't know. Uh, Maybe for some people that works, but it did not work for me. So that's cool. And I wonder if anyone who starts a business has to be a little bit ignorant, because if you know what's ahead of you, would you do it? Would you guys do it if you know what's ahead of you?
2: I think that that I, w- I would do it in the sense of if I knew what was in- ahead of me in terms of business, maybe not. But in terms of of personally, that what the business, how do I explain that? In terms of what the business have has allowed us to do in our personal lives, raising our children, mm-hmm. I would do it with my eyes closed. Because it has given both Matt and I to be present parents 150%. Like meeting, like, I'm sure, you know, I'm not saying parents that work from 8 to 5 are not present. I'm saying that we didn't miss events. We were able to pick them up after school. They never went to a child care. Uh, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, we we, we uh, were always there. We, we, we were able to take vacation random times during the year where weren't you know other kids weren't able to you know or parents couldn't get out of work you know so just for that reason and that reason only i would do it again even knowing that it's it's not it's not easy
1: (laughs) but would you agree that with this ignorance what matt mentioned you come into this world which you envision totally differently and then suddenly you are dropped in the middle of the ocean and said swim that way if you don't swim you you drown and I have high on that. I love it. I love that feeling. It's, it's scary, but in any time I do it, I always love it. But when I'm getting out of it, either selling by, the, by selling the company or let's say I'm doing something else, change my uh, profile, I always feel like I, I kind of did it, but do I want to do it again? And in a few years, yeah. But do, don't you agree that there, there is, it was much harder than, than, than you thought it would be?
2: Yes, I, I I totally agree, and I, I I I and I agree with you as well in terms of like it's it's good in a way to go into it not knowing because let's put the pandemic as an example, right? When the pandemic hit, we panic, right? Back in March, we're like, okay, and, and we're really truly a small business owners. It's Matt and I. where the the board of directors, Matthew Schroeder and Ash Meet me in the office. And that's in it. The back of the house <laughs> and let's make. That's it. Let's make decisions. All, people are depending on us. So we had to regroup where we were uh, quick to to adapt. adjust to the times, to change things, to, to adapt. I'm sorry, to adapt with the times, you know, with the pandemic. Uh, so so now looking back, uh, Saturday, my, my cousin, we're fully vaccinated. We had dinner. Now looking back, I'm like, wow, we did it. I mean, we're still in it, but we adapted to the times. We are still here. Uh, There's, you know, we were talking to the SBA, uh, an SBA officer just recently of Small Business Administration. They said 300,000 businesses have closed Mm -hmm. since the pandemic hit. So he was saying to us, you guys are a success story, right? So now like sitting at the dinner table with my cousin, I'm like looking back and reminiscing and just like, thinking about it and the things we did and the things she did because she's a small business owner as well we're like wow it feels good that we're like like you're saying right like you you go through all these things and you, you you have to swim really fast and you you have to hustle and then you come you know at the end of the the tunnel you come you know still alive and and and, and okay you're like I did it yeah it's a survival instant, you know, it's like, I did it, I did it, and it feels good, do I want to do it again, I'm not sure, (laughs) you know, I don't know if Matt wants to add, I mean,
0: just a small note on that, we were almost born in the fire of because we opened in um, November of 2008, right, so 2007, that, you know, obviously housing is like kind of crazy now, but there was a huge housing bubble back then there was tons of money going around and, uh, we, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of cash, but we borrowed against our house to open this business. Right. And, and we, we spent a decent amount of money, um, you know, doing the build out for our first cafe. Um, by the time that's, you know, that that you don't do that overnight. So like, uh, by the end of 2008, well, the financial crisis hit right so bear mm-hmm. stearns and lehman brothers went down in september of 2008 we opened up in november of 2008 right when we opened up i mean they were the, all the newscasts in the newspapers were like you know how you're going to save money and make it through this, this you know crisis it's like just stop drinking coffee you know stop going out to the cafe and you know spending three dollars a day or four dollars a day on your coffee you know it was um we'd, we had mortgaged our house to the hill and put everything we had into this. And then it was like a ghost town in our, in our shop, you know? And, um, my, I worked in, I worked in print and print, you know, in magazines, like, obviously that's not like a growth industry. So I, my work dried up. I was freelance. Andrew was working in uh in the entertainment industry they were kind of like tightening the belt there too and like we the only thing we had was this cafe and we we had we either had to make it work
2: i got laid yeah. i got laid off i got i i didn't think i was gonna get laid off i opened in november and get laid off in november and that was not the plan mm-hmm. the plan is for me for matt to take care of the, the business i of course me helping him on a you know after work or you know and and because of we had little kids and we needed the health insurance so uh, i had a great health insurance through my work so the plan was for me to continue working and to keep my union due uh, uh union hours uh and then the recession hits in november and i mean we opened in november and the recession just comes to, you know like full blast you know uh and we panic. We're like, oh, my God, no job. We have two kids. All of our we money have...
0: was tied up in this thing. Our house is underwater. <laughs> we have to make this work. Like, it, was, it was really hard, man. It was dark. But that that's what we started. That was like day one
1: for us, basically. This is a super you know? important topic which you guys opened. Is the It's not only about the pandemic, but kind of the resilience and adapting to a change. So tell us more. What do you guys think you did that helped you? you know, to go through this COVID so successfully.
0: We've been around for almost 13 years, the shop has, but uh, we've been roasting for almost five. And so we, part of that is we like to, like my wife mentioned before, like Anja mentioned before, like we like to travel and that's one of the benefits of, if you can make it work, um, you can travel at origin, right? And you get to um, uh, meet the farmers and the producers and, 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 you know at this point we kind of understand how that whole system works but it's always enlightening to be able to uh to to really meet the people face to face that you're that you're working with you know and that who are supporting you and that hopefully you're supporting as well um and so we we're in guatemala this time last year um or just before the pandemic hit and uh we, you know, we kind of went in. Some people when we took that flight to to Guatemala City, I mean, yeah, some people were wearing masks. It was like on a, on the horizon a little bit, right? I mean, nine days later, you know, our our daughter is texting us It's like they shut down Disneyland. People are hoarding toilet paper. I'm I'm in. We're in like Wayuutsenango and like Shre- Shangri La, you know, in the green hills overlooking like <laughs> Chiapas. like, you guys all need to calm down, man. It's cool. It's gonna be fine, you know. And we came back and. I think on a Saturday and that Sunday, uh, uh, the, the governor shut down the state, like, you know, all the restaurants are closed. And I went, <laughs> you know, and he's except for takeout. And I'm like, <sighs> you know, and, uh, and the next day we had this, uh, uh, big meeting with our staff and we were like, you know, I, I, I kind of likened it to, I don't know what I was trying to channel, but I was like, you know, and they're, you know, they're, they're baristas. They're all like 23 years old. Our, our staff, I, I keep getting older and they all stay the same age. Right. So like they're they're all they're all they've always been about in their early 20s. And I'm like, we made it through the Great Depression. We made it through the civil rights era. We made it through, you know, like we're going to make it through. And they're looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about, man? You know, like it. But I. I but I saw <laughs> they're that, so young. that it was going to be significant, and this whole like, oh, it's going to be over in thirty days thing. Like, I didn't see how that was, you know, going to be possible, you know. Um, and unfortunately, we did have to lay off some folks, and we tightened our belt. Um, what, you know, we we were happily we or very luckily we were able to uh, use some of that PPP uh, funding assistance, which really helped us out significantly, and we were able to offer back. Uh, the jobs to everyone that we had laid off some of them only one of them actually took us up on it Um, and and everyone else decided not to but I think part of it was the resilience and I, I give a lot of credit to my wife we were like you know I saw a lot of shops I'm sure Valerian you saw this too like people were like oh we're gonna close down for right now and in my mind in our minds we were like who has the luxury of doing that you know what I mean
2: there's no option like, for us in, for, to close. There was no, no, that's no question I mean, we're about, we're not closing. We're going everything we
0: can to be a, as safe as humanly possible. And we're always checking in with what the updated protocols are and just using common sense and just trying to like, you know, we don't want to be sick. We don't want our guests to be sick. We want everyone to be as healthy as humanly possible. We want our staff to be as healthy as humanly possible. We don't put anyone at risk, but also we got to make a living. And I didn't, I still to this day don't understand how some of them were like, eh, I'm just going to shut down for a couple of months, you know? For us it was like we're not closing down unless the sheriff or the national guard show up you know what i mean it's like we're going to push forward and again kind of like do the scrappiness or hustle or whatever it is. And take
2: the precautions and do yeah and take the precautions and that was my main thing from the get-go before i left to guatemala i left my staff because i it was we didn't know much about it it, it all exploded during our time to what Guata- uh, we were in guatemala I looked under the CDC guidelines and I left my staff, my managers and supervisors, prepare what the protocols CDC had at the time, which w- was not a lot, but at least it was something, you know? Came back into this whole new dr- new world, basically, new life, uh, uh, and immediately went to work in terms of like, finding out what are the protocols, what should we be doing? uh so uh that's what we did we again like my husband is saying we want our employees to be safe we want our customers to be safe uh so that's what we did we took everything uh all the measurements and precautions and protocols and read i read so much uh, as to what to do and we put all those um, protocols in place just to take care of our staff mainly and to take did care you do of our something customers. which other
1: cafes or restaurants didn't do but you took the risk on it and it worked out
0: I mean, I think for us, what it forced us to do was, you know, you've been in business for a while, Valerian. You, you start, you do something and it kind of works and you keep doing it, right? Because mm-hmm. um, maybe you have an idea to improve it, but you, your time's limited, your resources are limited, and you're kind of like, you unless something's really broken, Most of the, once you got something in motion, you kind of let it go. Well, this really disrupted, you know, talk about like Silicon Valley talk, like this really di- disrupted everything, right? It forced us to really give a very critical eye to what everything that we were doing, you know, because uh, especially when it first hit, I mean, our sales were down significantly, significantly, you know, at an unsustainable level. And you go like, do I need this many hours? Do I need all the staff to be on this long? How else can we reach Mm -hmm. our our guests? Like how, how else can we? And so, I mean, I think that
2: do we need to restructure? Do we need to restructure our ordering? Do we do do we order for one because we have two stores? Do we order now for only one store and ourselves drive the other half to the other location? Do you know what I mean? So we we have to restructure.
0: And I and uh, I think all of we that. we had been yeah. working on our website and updating for like online sales for our roasted coffee. And so I to answer your question, I think I don't know if we did anything innovative that's today different than what a lot of other shops are doing but i think we may have started doing it a little bit earlier a little bit faster because we were forced to and we uh kind of the two of us decided that we weren't going to throw in the towel and so we had to try these new things out you know i mean try out the online or the contactless like uh chow now you know like being people being in order ahead not having to touch the ipad or um or uh uh you know pushing them towards our website more um and and and, and try to like do local and, deliveries and, also, and things like that which we weren't doing before the pandemic
2: but also uh, going back to you know like what i said uh, earlier about board of directors right uh, Matt and I are the, are the only, you know, we are cafe de leche. There's no, we, we don't have investors. Like my husband's saying, we don't have the luxury to say, we okay, let me, let me wait or let me close. This is a livelihood. This is all we got. And we love what we do as, as much as it's a pain in career and it's, it's our livelihood. And so we do not have the luxury to just sit on it and wait to see what the CDC or what anyone else is doing. We need to focus on us, on our business, on making it. And that's what we did. So uh, it was not an option for us. They, they, so we moved quickly. We moved uh, and adapted and just regrouped. And I guess that's, I don't know if it's considered something that it was done differently or we just had to, we have to no, you—you basically.
1: It. Uh, like you did what I did too, and I'll, I'll admit it now, and I don't know if I don't edit this out because it will sound a little bit weird, but uh, it will sound that I'm some kind of evil person, but when I, when, I, when I saw that the pandemic will be a serious issue, I get this little butterfly in my stomach coming out, and it's like, "There's opportunity here. You know there is something something we can do differently. And finally, you know, I can take up the risks, which I never took up before and test them out because everybody is going to do that or they will complain because they are stunned. And that's what happened, you know, so we did a lot of experience with green plantation and boy, some of them worked out so well that we are super happy now, you know, so, and it's exactly what you said that we would probably have done them, but maybe in like a year or two, but because of the new situation, we just went ahead and made sure that you know they are implemented a s a p and we see whether they work or not so that's that was a very smart move, I think, but going back I'm kind of moving back from <laughs> from we are in a pandemic now and we're going uh, back to your business a little bit uh we didn't really talked what is it so you guys have two cafes, right? you guys roast your own coffee, sell it online in your cafes, and you do wholesale. Right, you said that you started to roast like five years ago. You mentioned about that, yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. so what did you do before with the coffee, and how did your portfolio and coffee change after you started to roast?
0: Well, I mean, to go kind of way back to the the beginning, you know, when it's hard, it's hard now because especially coffee is so prevalent. I think even in smaller markets in the United States, but in 2008, I mean, there really wasn't especially coffee when we opened up uh, in Northeast LA in 2008, there was not, um, uh, there, there wasn't very many shops. Intelligency had just got here from Los Angeles. Um, and uh, uh, there was a, a, a maybe one or two other shops, but you know, when we were opening, we didn't know if we were what you know, it was very common for a cafe to just be uh uh like a second wave shop with those like, you know, smoothie uh little, you know, things on the windows, like uh like different uh like posters on the windows, kind of second wave kind of thing. You know what I mean? You didn't know if, if it was if it was going to be it wasn't like a, a focus on, you know for uh the third wave stuff. It was just starting to begin. And so we, we, I looked out for like, uh, us, I don't know how, but I, I kind of found Stumptown and I tried to buy Stumptown coffee. And at the time, they were um only in Portland. And we, um, uh, we reached out to them and they said no. They asked what kind of equipment we had and what we were doing and they wouldn't sell us the coffee. You know what I mean? So, um, we Intelligency had just come to town and they um uh, uh, they opened the roaster more or less in our neighborhood and we um, we reached out to them and they kind of set us up the first year and it, it was good it was uh you know it was a good experience, but it wasn't really quite what we wanted and we reached out to stumptown a year later and they um they said, okay, well, you know, I said, we know what we're doing, you know, so they, they started selling us a coffee, and so we were one of the first Stumptown accounts in California. I think maybe Ritual had it at the time, and then, um, um, uh, and, and us and, uh, the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs, I think, possibly, you know, but it was, um, it was new and, and people would come to us from like different parts of California because they're like, Oh, I'm from Portland. And I, you know, I haven't had Stumptown coffee forever. So it was like, it was a really big deal. Now, of course you can get Stumptown at like Target, you know, but at the time it was a, it was a really kind of, you know, new and fresh thing. And, you know, over the, over the years, more and more specialty coffee came around and to kind of set ourselves apart, we came to a point where we really needed to, Um, you know, make the decision to roast, you know. So um, that that's kind of where we came to is because we were one of the only specialty coffee shops again in like northeast Los Angeles, and then we come to a a spot where we're surrounded by specialty shops. You know what I mean?
2: And also, it gets to the point, I guess, after. You know, you start getting, gaining more experience and knowing more of what you want to do, where you want to take your business, what, you know, how you want to approach, um, just the, the path you want to take, you know, uh, um, it changes, you know, at the beginning, we didn't know what we were doing. Then later on, we kind of like started learning more and understanding more of the business of the business. And I just, I at least for me, I'm I'm not gonna speak on behalf of my husband, but at least for me, Intelli in was not, not for the path that I wanted it to take. It was that their 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 model. I mean, I'm not trying to criticize them, Everybody has their own thing, right? But it was not the type of business model that I wanted it for my business. And so, I I I actually uh, never, you know wanted it to stay forever and ever with, with, with any of the roasters. I eventually wanted it to set my own uh, stamp, you know, in the coffee world. And that only became a reality when we started roasting. And that, is, that was the ultimate goal to, to become our, you know, we you
1: decided that, yeah, we're going to roast. Uh, did you research coffee roasters and how the process went and what did you end up buying?
2: we did we did uh between matt and i we uh i think we were at the yeah. seattle convention right uh matt if i might we were just talking to different companies and um finally um i think they had uh which uh
0: i mean we, we were I looking at the different with, options whether... i was like kind of looking at probots originally just because they're they seem kind of the industry standard um right but, yeah yeah that we was were like at it. uh yeah. SCA, i think it was called SCAA then um a couple of those conventions you can get to see the roasters and again like not knowing anything about anything you know you just talk to a lot of people um right i i talked to some other coffee consultants and kind of got their opinion and whatnot but we ended up with a geese and, um with yeah. a uh it's yeah a, a, a six kilo geese in. um and i think valerin you you've given this piece of advice and i've heard it in a lot of places that always buy something a little bit more than what you think you need and I didn't listen to that. And so, um, we got the six, whereas I think we could, we could have probably done with the 15. Uh, and it's not that we're exceeding yeah. our capacity with the six kilo, but, um, with the amount we roast, which is, uh, uh, I roast two days a week. We roast about 300 pounds ago. So it's, uh, I could roast more days a week and, and handle it. Okay. But just because of uh, of Of scheduling and the, the amount of time yeah I mean I have things to do every day, so I try to confine it to two days a week um, so if I did it more days a week it 'd be a little more comfortable. The fact that I do it only two days a week it you know i i roast my roast days are eight or nine hours long sometimes and and it can be it can get a little bit uh i don 't want to say monotonous but um it's a lot of work.
1: You are I mean? referring to the advice I did a long time ago about the fact that it's better to roast fewer days and then spend those day, other days to marketing or sales, right? That's what you're referring? Oh, okay. Well, the yeah, thing about exactly. the size of the roaster is that I got beef for that advice. Uh, some people really did not like it. They are coffee roaster producers, I'll tell you right away. There is a video out there which criticizes my article about that, but I don't care. You know, the thing is that it works for us and everybody has to decide what works for them. I just remember that I did that mistake multiple times. I told this story many times, but if there are new listeners, my first roaster was a 250 gram electric roaster. Dumb, right? 250 grams? I mean, <laughs> whatever. Because I had a small coffee and I thought, well, if I fill up the grind it will be enough. Nope. So then I had a three kilo one, which you kind of fall into my lap. It's a very old 1938 ProBat. You can roast two kilos on it easy. And that worked a little bit. But then I, when I got to the wholesale, part actually bailed on that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do roasting for a while. But when I restarted Green Plantation in 2012, I said to my uh, new partners, I said, look guys, we are not going to go under five kilo at no point. I mean, we're buying only five kilo roaster minimum. And they're like, that's a lot of coffee. I said, but no, we are buying five kilo. Trust me, I made this mistake twice. In two years, we are upgrading to 15 kilo. You know, so it's like, it's like I did it mistake too many times. And fifteen kilo now. Actually, what we have now is a Probat U G twenty two. Again, that fall into my lap. So we replaced the 15 kilo Turkish one with that Probat Ug twenty-two. And that's too much for now for us right now. That's a little bit like you know, it's it's more than I than we can chew on, but that's yeah, in that's Europe. in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my European brand. In 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 United States, I used always coro facilities. Like we have these amazing coro in berkeley and we just rented time on lorings
0: that was a that was a really big sticking point so that if someone's trying to get into roasting now i think it's a it's a much uh
1: you have much
0: more yeah much more opportunity because option, yeah. there were no co-roasting op- uh, yeah. uh, options in los angeles in 2008 like zero and i would be like chasing down people going hey can i buy time on your machine and like it's very, you know, it is like people are like, oh, you're going to be a competitor. I don't want to give you like like that's going to like that's going to. Yeah, like make make money off me while I'm trying to figure it out. You know, um,
2: it was actually really hard for Matt. He was like knocking at doors and everyone now, 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 So yeah And now,
0: you know, there's a couple of different options, but a uh, pulley collective, which is out of Brooklyn, they're right. they're here in L.A. now and and there's some other ones um and I've I've rented time on my machine to other people for the same thing. I mean, granted, like if, if you're going to open up a shop on my block, yeah, I'm probably going to give you a little resistance, but if you're going to go somewhere else in Los Angeles, I mean, for the love of God, yeah, go for it, you know? And um, I got, I've got, I got five days a week that I'm not using my roaster. So why would I not, you know, be to my advantage to, to let someone else use that? I, would you know, I, it offsets some of my costs and I mean, frankly, I, I like sharing a bit of my knowledge, you know, what I've learned now. I still have a a heck of a lot to learn, but um, I enjoy that. You know what I mean? I enjoy um, kind of sharing what I've learned so far. Um, If they, if, if someone needs that, and if not a lot of times the people that I actually roast time with, they know more than I do. So then I pick their brains for information, you know? So um, it's, it's, it's the collaborative side of specialty coffee that everyone kind of, uh talks about that isn't always true but it can be true in certain situations and i think it it certainly can be true with with something like a roaster that just has so much expenses up front actually you you
1: opened my eye we had this conversation before when i was in your cafe like whatever x years ago And we had this conversation and I was one of those guys who's like, if you come to my roster, I'm not going to give you my roster. I mean, you're going to my competitor. Then we had this conversation. I was like, wait, he's right. Not only that I will profit on my competitor, right? I mean, when can you profit on your competitor? When he pays you money to roster on your equipment. And I was like, that's great. That's one thing. A second thing is like, that person might be a very skilled salesman, but not so skillful a roaster. So then you have a partnership opportunity, question mark, or, you know, this just one example. There's so many opportunities when you let other people go and roast in your place. And if you are greedy or egoistic, then it can be the money and the fact that you are kind of riding on, you know, on them a little bit. And if you are more open, like, you know, in the specialty world, we have that opportunity for future cooperation, partnerships, new friendships, whatever, you know, it's like, so in green plantation we actually opened our roastery and now if people want to come they can roast their own coffee but Slovakia is far behind you know United States when it comes to co roasting they don't trust us they don't it's like why would you do that to us why would we do that because you will do it anyway you want to start your brand you will do it so why we wouldn't have any profit on you some profit on you and maybe if i like what you do because not everybody does specialty coffee somebody does you know uh, like bulletproof or somebody does you know something like the uh death wish does the strongest coffee in the world so maybe we even partner up with you i don't know maybe i invest in you i don't know to come and roast with us yeah let's figure this out
2: yeah and like you were saying you know we had a a a company i i I forget what their honey the they they ended up moving to santa monica they were gonna open a, a cafe in santa monica and they ended up moving out of state i forget their names they were roasting in 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 our shopping highland park they had no clue as to, like, they started talking to me because I'm the HR, uh, I do all the all that stuff uh, besides copying and everything else. Um, he just had, like, tons of questions. He sat down with me and his business partner, and I said, I'm more than welcome to share my knowledge of how it is to run a, you know, a cafe and what you need and what the laws are, you know, in the state of California. And sure enough, you know, he and Matt shared bounce ideas uh, of each other when it came to roasting, and he asked me anja would would you mind sitting down with me and and I have a few questions for you and that's what we did We sat down his business partner came, and they took notes and you know it's Matt and I are pretty good about those things we're pretty pretty open uh about sharing you know like our our knowledge the knowledge that we gain and and, and sharing that with others um uh, uh, we, don't, we don't see that as a threat. Yes,
1: and we know who we are. Now, that's, that's an awesome sentence. I'll tell you why. Because I think everybody can roast coffee. You can learn it easy. I mean, little plug, coffeecourses.com, 500 bucks, and you got the whole knowledge of coffee roasting and coffee anything. Or you can go anywhere you want, right? It's easy to get the knowledge. And then you have to sell it, which, again, you have to acquire the, the skill of sales. But then it's you, your personality. Because I don't think people go to your cafe because you have a geese, or people don't go to your cafe because you know you have certain coffees. That's a part of it, but the biggest part of it's you guys and the vibe you create, you know, in your place.
2: And honestly, you you can't you can't please everyone. You can't you know <laughs> you know you try your very best to give the best, right? But you can't. You you have to. I feel like working coffee. Like some people are trying to please the specialty association, coffee association, the 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 specialty uh, coffee businesses, uh the I don't know the LA scene. You know, I just feel like you you know you just have to do what you do and do it. I the think best they do it because
1: can. they you know they didn't get it yet, but. I love this definition about branding, which is like that's my go-to definition of branding. Branding is a gut feeling about your company. Meaning if person looks at you or looks at uh, the owners, the cafes, the coffee, the logo, the anything, you, you, how you speak, how you talk, how you move, that creates a gut feeling about your company and that's brand. And that's exactly what's happening. So and we were going to talk about a little bit about the branding because you, you guys are super sharp on that. But let's move on a little bit with this coffee roster because I wanna kind of wrap it up. How happy are you with Geesen and what kind of roast profiles are you using on it?
0: I like the machine a lot. I think the Geeson is a is a pretty good machine. I really like um, well, you know, the the way they integrated with Cropster. So I've used Cropster um, for folks that aren't familiar with the roasting you know you can roast analog basically old school I mean the technology for roasting correct me Larian but it's like it's basically like 100 years old right I mean you got a spinning barrel and and some heat underneath that I mean that hasn't changed really forever what has changed is uh being able to read uh like with thermocouples like thermometers that what what the bean temperature is at different times in the roast what the air temperature is right and then some other small things where you can like maybe adjust the speed of the drum or the flow you know a little more precision with the airflow things like that right so um the the software basically records all this while you're roasting and allows you to be consistent with your roast. so when you do because sometimes especially when i started you're taking kind of a stab in the dark at stuff you know You, you don't even if you relatively do know what you're doing you don't really necessarily know what the outcome is going to be you know and even to this day i struggle with uh uh with cause and effect of you know if i adjust the airflow at this point in time in the roast how's that going to affect the ultimate outcome of the flavor of the coffee you know but when when you do find yourself with something you like or something you, you don't like you know if you want to avoid again we now have the luxury of the software to be able to replicate or not replicate what you did before, does that yeah, make sense? Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. I was just kind of trying to break it down for people that wouldn't be as familiar with the with the systems. The way they integrated with the Geeson, uh, I really like a lot, and they've done something recently where the um the there's kind of a I think they call it replay. So they're it, it, the computer actually is able to take over certain parts of the roast um, to for consistency, right? So it's not like it you're it's some robot doing it. It's like, you've created this, but you're able to do it consistently. Right. And, and just a few months ago, they uh, included airflow control, which for me was fantastic. I mean, that really put the icing in the cake for me. So the integration with Cropster with the Geeson, I really like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to throw geese totally under the bus, but their U.S. support is, is poor. There's a really nice woman in, on the East coast that helps us out now. And that's been, in the past year or so, maybe a little more than a year that they have someone in the US that you can call before I would have to like in the middle of the night call Europe, um, you know, and so um, that was not pleasant. And so I I still struggle a little bit with their um, support as far as um, uh, I'm trying to get my, you know, regular maintenance on the machine, I'm starting to having to do it myself a little bit more. I'm not terribly mechanical guy. So um, that's, it's something I'm doing, but I'm not, um, it wouldn't be my first choice. Um, so pros and cons love the machine, uh, love the software and integration. Um, the support side of it is they're a European company, uh, and they're strongly in Europe, you know, that's um, not the excuse so. though. I, I wish they had more support in the U S man. I really do. And if I had to do it all over again, I may lean towards the I don't even know much about the San Franciscan other than that they're made in Nevada and I bet I could get someone on the phone real close you know what I mean and I could probably drive to their factory if I had to you know uh I've heard good things about those uh Mill City uh you know there's obviously Probot I think they have some pretty good U.S. support I again this is hard because I started out on this road I've literally roasted on like one other roaster of my life so I don't have a lot of
1: Tell me about your portfolio. What kind of coffees do you have and how do you select them?
0: Um, well, so we, we try to, you know, our ultimate goal is to be able to serve coffees from, from producers that we know personally, you know, and at this point, we're at about, about 50% there. Um, so we still, you know, we work with importers we trust. Uh, we, uh, big shout out to crop to cup um, who I traveled, uh, with to Ethiopia a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um,
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I would have to agree on that. That's one of my favorite, um, importers, I would say, um, through the pandemic, I just, like my husband is saying, big shout out to them because they were absolutely amazing to work with. Um, and, and it, I, I can't thank them enough to, for the flexibility, their knowledge, and just, uh, uh they treated us, you know, more yeah, like them I mean, business. The reason why my wife jumped like in so strongly so, there so is one thing that Yeah, very happy um, that we're with the I about.
0: I think a lot of people don't consider when they're thinking about it, they think about what's the quality of the coffee and where did it come from and all these things are important, but there's also a personal level, which is my wife handles all the financials for our company and there's their accounting department and how they treat you and, 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 and all that other side of business, right. When you're doing business with someone um, that can be really nice or very unpleasant, you know, and, and that, that's a, a big part of, of running any business, you know, um, all kind, all, whatever those accounts are, you know, whichever side you are on those and they're, they're a wonderful company with really good people. So like the importers that we uh, have worked with, um have some of, some of the origin uh the farmers at origin we we met through other channels but majority of them we've met through um importers and so we were we've been able uh fortunate enough to go like i said we were in guatemala last year uh year before that we were in el salvador and ethiopia year before that we we're in nicaragua um and so we are able to have ongoing relationships with the farmers and um and then you know obviously it helps to be able to tell these stories. It helps for our, our sales within the coffee community, within the specialty coffee community. I think these are old, you know, these are kind of some people actually kind of scoff at it even more now, you know, it's like, oh, wow, you've been big freaking deal, but it really is still important for our, our customers to, to be able to like share with them where these coffees are coming from, and and that we have the knowledge that, that um, we've met the producers, and more importantly, even, I think the, the people actually doing the real work, like the people that pick the coffee, and what conditions they, they live and work in, and, um, and we're always trying to educate ourselves more, but at least having some knowledge about what they're being how they're being compensated and 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 what their the living conditions are and how we can hopefully improve their lives ultimately you know and that's that's a that's a big deal to us and it's something that you know we moving forward like when we look past this current journey of being a coffee roasting company we look into retirement i mean our ultimate goal is to set up something that we can hopefully uh like set up some kind of a nonprofit or something that could ultimately the, the the goal would be to benefit those people because those are the people that are doing the real work and those are the people that are you know benefiting probably the least in this whole like journey you know and and um and coffee is a worldwide product and it's it you know there there's thousands of people yeah. that are 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 that that work really, 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 really hard. And a lot of them aren't compensated super well, you know? And so um, being able to meet them and see them face-to-face mm-hmm. uh, puts a lot of stuff into perspective and uh, and and makes you want to uh, be able to tell their stories a little bit more, you know? So um, anyway, so the, 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 a lot of the copies that we get, about half of our coffees are from these relationships and the other ones are from, uh, other uh, farms that uh, we vetted through um, through importers that we know and trust and have built up relationships with over time. Um, that being said, we like to focus on Central American coffees. Uh, if you know, we we have uh, some coffees from Ethiopia and our newest ones from
1: Rwanda. It's so amazing to hear from you guys that you are such so person oriented that when I ask you about even about the coffee, like how how do you get your coffee. How do you get your coffee? I'm getting emotional. <laughs> so when when you say that, how are you getting uh, your coffees into your portfolio? Instead of answering me that, oh, we cup and we, you know, evaluate and we're buying the best scores. You went like, you didn't even mention that at all. What you did mention is the relations, the friendships. And I love that. You know, it's 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 very rare. Uh, well, it's, in that sense, maybe it's more, than Europe. But I, I, I know that in Slovakia, in my homeland, I was recently on on one, uh, it's kind of like live podcast or whatever that was, and there was more roasters. And there was a similar question. And people like, what's important, most important for you in your coffee? And people like the score, the acidity, the rose degree, stuff like that. Like, and, and I said, well, for me, it's the story. It, it's amazing. Like, if you hear the story, who grew it, you, you know, that person, you see his or her eyes, you know, that's you know, I, I miss traveling more. I should travel definitely more. I love Central America. I've never been in Nicaragua or Guatemala. I usually... Just, I did Costa Rica and Panama. And Panama, I did professionally to go to coffee farms with Willem Booth and stuff like that. But in Costa Rica, I was on holidays on a, on a beach resort, a very fancy one. And I was like in a seven heaven. So it was really, really beautiful. These countries are just amazing, like really amazing. And we should... We should really help them and guard them because these are treasures, you know, on on the planet. So. I
2: see it like you're saying. We 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 are very. We don't talk very like technical. Like I notice as a woman, you know, when I'm copying, but sometimes there's like ten, fifteen men, and then there's me. They all try to get very like over, talk over each other, and get technical about it. I'm like, yeah, no, this 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 tastes like bananas <laughs> to me. And they're like what <laughs> it's like well it's my taste buds not yours so uh and they get they start getting which i understand sometimes but um uh i think matt and i were more like about connections the stories the uh, emotions and i don't know we're we're pretty easy going when it, we want good quality obviously you know we know what who we are and the coffees we want but we're not we're we're a little different
1: you know, when you are technical, especially towards customers, I think you are intimidating them. Like they're intimidating. They feel they feel kind of like, ooh, but it, you know, emotions sell. And and I know in you in your case, uh, I can feel that it's very uh, natural. It comes from you. It's not something you are kind of like, you know, creating. It's very like it's it's you. That's you guys. But when marketing emotions are the ones which sell. That's why you know, scaring people. Or giving them like a chance of better love always works in marketing, you know, so you guys are on a good path, so that's that's definitely awesome
2: thank you, thank you so much we try i mean it's again it's not that we try it's it's naturally the people we are you know like we we look truly love what we do um as much as like I said earlier it's hard it's not easy uh we just that's our favorite part of of working in coffee is the travel the stories the Sitting with the farmers, talking, having a meal with them, um, that—that's at least for me, and I'm sure. I mean, it's there's there's so much well. good Larry, I mean, you've tasted, so, <laughs> I'm
0: sure, quite a lot of coffee in your time. I don't and know. There's so, there's so much good coffee out there. Obviously, there's some, you know, not everything's a Cup of Excellence finalist, you know, um, but on the whole, if you're serving, if you're a relatively busy shop and you're moving good coffee, I mean, that the 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 coffee that falls into that category. Is, is pretty broad, I think. And so, like, the finding these, you know, making these connections with these stories, like we work with Expo Como and this, that's the dry mill in Nicaragua. I mean, these are good people doing good work. Like, that's who you want to support. Cedro Alto, um, Carl, I think, I'm gonna say his right name, his name correctly, Weinhold, I don't know if you follow him, in Colombia, he's supporting a lot of indigenous um, producers. Like these are the people we want to work with, you know what I mean? Because they're 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 doing their best, and not it's not uh, altruistic, you know. It's not like they're just doing it because they want to be, you know, whatever. Like, look at me, I'm a great person. It's it's they're 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 making a living too. But if you can make a living and try to like bring up people, and you still have the really good coffee, I mean, that seems, I mean, I'm not, you know, I mean, that seems like kind of the best of all worlds. That's the exactly. know, It, it would seem the logical conclusion, like what, what you would want to go for, you know?
1: You're basically making business with your own peeps, like people you like, your friends and stuff. So that's, you know, that's always impressive. But going further, because we already, I already mentioned marketing a little bit. You know, I'm following you for a while now and I'm like always shocked about your uh, branding and marketing. It's always spot on. And I always feel it's two of you guys. You don't have any marketing team. You don't have any fancy designer company behind you. My first question would be, what do you think? How important it is for startups to uh, start with a good branding? Because in my world, I, I meet a lot of startups and they, I think that their branding many times kind of lacks and they, they excuse oh, We don't have money for that. So then my first question would be, how important is in the start the branding? And second, how do you guys do it?
0: I think in branding is incredibly important. I mean, one of, you know, I said, I bounced around working in entertainment stuff. The job I had before I was doing photography was in uh, entertainment advertising. So we did like at the time was like DVD boxes and movie posters and movie trailers and things like that. So I had a little bit of it, but I wasn't an art director by any stretch of imagination. And I, I can work with key art but I don't create key art really. Um, But I, understood the importance of that and you're absolutely right like the the branding is like super important we have um we are kind of fortunate enough because of where we are we uh, a, a good friend of ours has a place called scrap labs which is basically upstairs from our cafe um who has done a lot of work with us and i mean because we're friends he, he's kind of helped us out a little bit on that i think uh, i think a lot of people in in if you look around your community We'll, well you'll you know they're the artists there you know and so paying them a little bit um and I'm not saying don't pay don't pay them what they're worth but I'm just saying like spending a, a little bit more of your budget than you'd be uh because when you're starting off you don't have a lot for anything right so if you I'm not saying yeah. an exorbitant amount of money but actually spending some money on that branding is probably some of the best you can you uh the best uh money you can spend because the return on that is going to be pretty good because uh most people don't know what they're drinking with coffee i mean just like straight up like customers i mean you'll have some people that really know what they're talking about the majority of people are drinking coffee and we go this is from someone that goes to a long length i just told you about how was traveling to countries and i spent years trying to learn how to roast most people are what the product that i work night and day to create the the best that i can is getting buried under uh 12 ounces of milk and a whole bunch of sugar right so most people aren't tasting that what they're buying isn't that what they're buying is what you said Is they're buying your brand they're buying your idea they're buying your worldview they're buying what 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 you're trying to do you know in 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 the world and so uh the way to convey that is is through your branding you know and we, I think our branding is good. I, it always needs, you know, it's always, and we've also had you know, like some other friends help us with websites and stuff. Yeah. It's always improved. I'd say.
2: I think it has evolved. Yeah. It, it has evolved uh, to the point that, uh, I mean, we had a barista that uh, uh, Christine, wherever you are, we love you. Thank you for the uni dog logo um she was one of our baristas that worked for us for many years she loved drawing on cups
0: creations yeah.
2: uh and we fell in love with the one of her um uh, uh drawings creations and we bought it from her we bought the rice from her and that is the uni dog that you see at the bottom of the cup uh when you drink coffee uh you see it everywhere pretty much and it's being actually one of our most like eye catchers uh, of all the logos that we had, had, the, you know, uh, and it's like, we're going to continue pushing it forward along with, you know, our, you know, uh, our new design.
0: Yeah.
2: Because we, we've been listening to you for a long yeah, time driving and around. our yeah. kids grew up, I think Matt told you the story. <laughs> no,
0: they're okay. <laughs> story. They turned okay?
2: in the car driving around, you know, it's like,
0: yeah. <laughs> they, oh,
2: well, they're okay. Sorry, I'm <laughs> so sorry. It really to do with coffee, but uh, not because of you. But <laughs> it's just, <laughs> but she's like I don't, you know. I was um, visiting cafes. Are we gonna listen yeah. to. Are we gonna go a coffee shop? Why do we? Because every everywhere we travel, we have to go taste coffee.
0: Do we have to visit and all the son coffee shops? Our already. We're
2: going to Puerto Rico, uh, late July, and he already came to us and said. Can we not go?
0: We try to balance out a bit. And now they're older, so we can um, we can split, you know, they they can do their thing and we'll go hit the cafes. But yeah, it definitely uh I don't know, maybe they'll turn at some point in time, but um our kids are fourteen and almost seventeen now and they're um uh,
1: yeah, not 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 their thing, you know. You stole my question. I wanted to ask you about the unicorn, but it's a uni dog. I remember when I was at your place and You have these uh, big cups, you know, with a big saucer. I was drinking like regular, just black coffee and I finished the coffee and there it was on the bottom of the cup, there was the Unidog and I fall in love with it and I'm showing it to everyone all the time because you guys gave me that cup, I treasure it, I still have it. (laughs) You guys sell online, you do wholesale, you do your cafes. If somebody is starting today a coffee business. Which would you recommend? Would you recommend people to start directly with a cafe? So they should have a cafe with their business or they should go just retail and wholesale?
0: We, we took the cafe route. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know what what it would look like the other way around. I, I know question. some people that do it, um, that they're only wholesale and, and, and retail. They don't have a physical space. Um, I feel like you can start, retail on a very small scale though. I mean, you can, depending on where you are, LA County is a real pain in the neck, but like, uh, in some more civilized parts of the world, you can have like a, uh, you know, literally like a table and, and serving coffee at a farmer's market or, or something like that. And, and the, the, the price to get in, the price of entry is much lower, you know, whereas, well, I mean, you know, you, you can wholesale by renting machine now again, depending on where you are. Uh, but, uh, I I personally would think retail is kind of the way to go.
2: I I would say yeah. yeah uh, like Matt is saying, it's it, it's really hard because we always done we did retail first, right? Uh, I would say for me from the experience, just having employees and all that implies, mm-hmm. and especially like Matt is saying, it's just not only the LA county but it's state of california it's really not employer friendly so i would mm-hmm. i would go so we would have started wholesale. two
0: different
1: businesses I mean, yeah i would go <laughs> wholesale So we had the same uh, <laughs> to that, yeah, uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> just 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 coming from an hr you know because I, uh, I like i was saying because, uh, you know i do cupping and i do all this i don't roast because can you imagine roasting and we have our jobs within the company, so okay, totally you know, I understand it a little bit, but I'm I not doing that. So, and um, so it, it, you know, coming from a more of administrative business um, operations, you know, because I'm at the CFO as well, you know. So I would say just you know wholesale and before opening a, a an actual like retail space for you know a cafe, but that's just mm-hmm. me.
1: One of my most exciting questions is always when I can ask you about your $10,000 business. If I would give you today $10,000 and I tell you, hey, guys, you have to make some business in the coffee industry, what kind of business would it be?
0: This is where I completely flip. And, and maybe, you, uh, maybe my wife convinced me on this. The, the funny thing is if you put these constraints on it, right, uh, where it's $10,000, I absolutely would think going the co-roasting route would be the way to go. You know, what I mean, though, because I never I never had that opportunity, but that the because it's so expensive to actually open a physical cafe. I mean, for us, realistically, in the style that's popular, where we are and all that opening a cafe is around one hundred thousand dollars on the low end, you know, so um, to not have to buy furniture and equipment and everything else and just to rent and then buy green coffee. You could, I think it's very doable to be able to do that within a $10,000 budget. Now, of of course, you're not making a living. You're like probably have another job, but you do this on the weekends. But like to be able to start a business like that, I think, uh, yeah. Oh, you're not in LA. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And this is again, we're talking from the perspective of of Southern California, which is, you know, I'm from a small town in Ohio. I mean, there's different, there's a lot, it's a different world there. And, and, And in some ways, a lot of other opportunities. That aren 't here where it's super hyper competitive, where you know like at one point in time we were the only shop in northeast l a and now there were one of four on our block, like literally on our our block you know they what were I mean? the trendy in uh, yeah. one of uh, probably twelve in our neighborhood you know um, it's a lot different in in maybe rural Ohio or or different parts of the world you know so um I, I think if you had the ten thousand dollars, you could you can most definitely spend some of that money on branding, find a good uh, artist to to work with, um and and find your voice, hook up with a a good uh, importer, um that's going to support you, uh that's mm-hmm. going to understand that you're small and you need to grow, and they're out there for sure. Um, again, the ones we mentioned are are, are wonderful people to contact if you're interested in that, um and um and you you could absolutely start a coffee business in fact it might be to your advantage to be in a small town no granted you'd have to be in some place that has a co-roasting place nearby that you could do or a roaster that you can rent time from but if you do i mean there's like uh i'm I'm losing their name now but there's some like in even in like idaho and and different parts of the midwest you know um they're all over the country now so i'm sure like you know in missouri and a, a, a lot of not not just like the 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 coast things or the Pacific Northwest where it kind of all kind of started from that. You could uh, definitely start a business for
2: $10,000. We just met somebody in Hawaii yeah. that, you know, young, young guy, uh, very driven. Uh, he had a coffee like cart. He probably
0: spent more than $10,000 on that. the branding that, though, yeah. was amazing. Yeah. I mean, all well, the grinders. Oh, and, maybe because
2: uh, it was Hawaii, but it looked all machines, the grinders. Yeah, I mean, that was machines like that's 15 true. grand. Very yeah. we teeny place, but Brandy was yeah. amazing. Spot on. Um, uh, passionate you know, guy,
1: passionate guy, yeah. Yeah,
2: I don't know. Passionate mm-hmm. guy, that's for sure.
1: Guys, thank you so much uh, for this answer because uh, I know it's very challenging. If you guys have a question towards me, shoot.
0: How long have you been in coffee yourself? Like, how long have you been doing this?
1: I used to be a, a diplomat. Uh, working in the post war areas for UN and stuff like that. Very as very young, so it's you know it's a very good career, but I s- wanted to stop it for obvious reasons. A, it's super depressing, b the conditions are very hard to work in these kind of times. So in 2002, when I returned from Kosovo, I decided because of my wife, decided to start to do coffee. But I didn't, I mean, I started my first coffee company, my first cafe. And I very fast learned that I hate the whole cafe stuff. I loved love the coffee roasting stuff, but it failed. And then my dad took it over in 2004 and he was doing the coffee roasting and we were doing it together while I had a job. And I really got back into it when I moved to the United States and I met Willem Boot, got all the fancy know-how through building the coffeecourses.com at that time, Bootcamp Coffee. And starting also Green Plantation, where I implemented everything I learned from boot coffee, like technically obviously I learned from about marketing from other sources, and I implemented all these new know-how on this test company called Green Plantation in Slovakia. So you you worked with your father? Well, the story is that (laughs) I worked myself first. Uh, I got really I got the bug, the coffee bug. I really wanted to do coffee. My dad was actually angry because you know I have a. Uh, master of arts in political science. I ended up, I was one of the best in the school. So he was like, gosh, you've studied so hard. You did this, this, this great career. You were lucky enough to you know, be chosen by organization for security and cooperation in Europe to work in the post-war areas in in human rights. And then you go and roast coffee. You are insane, man. And I was like, well, I know. But I then after that, that you, he, so... he, you brought him in.
0: So he tells you you're crazy. And then he starts doing yeah.
1: Yeah in 2004 I was like I'm, do- I'm not doing this anymore and he and he's like but you know I will miss the coffee because I was providing you know his coffee with with my rose and he said show me how to do it I showed him how to do it and I told him that how much you can earn with that and he was like what that much that's amazing I will do it I was like fine do it so he was doing it and he was getting pension you know like from the state and plus this extra money and he was super happy because he he has expensive hobby he loves old books and he loves antiques. You know, he loves history. So he could finance everything plus trips to the coast or whatever with my mom for roasting once a week on Tuesdays, packages it, sends it out on that three kilo probat, which I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast and makes his life happy. He doesn't have to pay for employees. He doesn't have to, you know, uh, pay for marketing or anything. All he does, he roasts once a Week once a day as a pensioner, and he's super happy. Wow.
0: <laughs> and then I guess the follow-up to that would be like, why? Why have you stuck with this for, for so long?
1: Well, it, it's a great question because I, it makes me think. Why am I in, still in it? And you are right. I'm a person who likes different things. I always say that every year I learn something new. So you know, uh, I was doing natural wine. I know how to now you know analyze chocolate, right, and, and roast it and get the beans and everything when it comes to chocolate making, which is weird because it's a very complex process. But I learned it because I was curious. And there's always this little devil which tells me that, hey, maybe you should start a business in that or, hey, you should go maybe that way. i always come back to coffee. I mean, first of all, I have most of my friends are in coffee, right? All my friends here are doing coffee. So that's one thing. I still have that business in Slovakia, which I think is one of my, my babies and I love it. I know it's far away, but everything I do in, you know, in Slovakia always me, fulfills me very well. I write articles, I have a YouTube channel, I have a podcast, and it's just super exciting. And egoistically, it's the only thing that I really know right now. You know, it's, it's, I'm good at. So I'm not good at I don't know, financing or you know, maybe, I don't know, any other thing. I'm good at coffee, so I'm sticking with it. But I tell you one thing that I became super sensitive to caffeine, which sucks, because like I have coffee in the morning, and after that I cannot have coffee. I can, but I know that in the evening I'm going to fight in a First World War, or I wake up at two o'clock morning, you know. So uh, I don't know. It's it's a good question, and I don't know. Every year I have that question: Do I still want to do coffee? You know, do I? I mean, I enjoy this podcast, for example, a lot because you know it's it, it's a hobby right now. I mean, obviously, I'm talking to people I like, but do I want to do this next year? I don't know. It's always a surprise for myself too. <laughs> how long? How long you are guys going to do this?
0: I mean, probably for another decade or so, I imagine, unless you know something else happens. I mean, this is kind of like you. We, we've yeah, is what we've learned, grown to to know and love, you know.
2: And yeah, as much as it's hard, it is like a
0: lot of other. Yeah. You know, it's not like uh, you work in a business and so you go to the same office every day. I mean, we, you know, we have a couple cafes, and because of the roasting, we get to travel a bit, and and just interacting with the different people that we know in our neighborhood. Like, I mean, I lived, I've lived in this neighborhood for twenty one years, and um, for the first eight, um, I knew. A handful of people and now i know dozens if not hundreds or you know i don't all know their all their names but through the cafe you like you just i'm immersed more in my community because of that and the interactions with the community and that's like just a really kind of a wonderful thing that uh an opportunity that i wouldn't have had otherwise you know um so there's benefits beyond just the coffee itself
1: yeah but
2: on that note on that note we're still we're, yeah. we're tired though. yeah we're, no it, i mean don't get matters. me wrong we're, we're, we're yeah. tired we're getting to that slowing age down. <laughs> where we want peace and quiet we're yeah. slowing down and and yeah we maybe 10 more years uh yeah. we'll we'll see
1: do, do you remember kelly's question from the last podcast she asked me whether i am sad if I right, you were company. like
0: no 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 not at all <laughs> You you came back That's and you're what... really excited <laughs> for that too. You're like no no no. I was like in my mind I'm like, you should have paused a little bit longer on that one. You know,
1: but well, it keeps it more real, right? I mean, I didn't have to think about it. I was like, no. I had so much on my plate. And don't miss on. I I did not hate work with Unleash Coffee. I loved it. It was it was a concept which you know we came up with William. I was like, this is revolutionary in my head. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But it's like I was. I loved every moment of it. But you know, when you are. in in a grind and suddenly everything feels like I have to do this rather than, oh, I want to do this. It it just, it was a different perspective, you know? And, and I don't know how how long we'll feel as soon as something feels for me as a grind, I, I give up on it and I'm lucky because I can, you know, and I know that not every human is financially stable enough to do that. So I'm, I'm super lucky and I'm appreciating it, you know, a lot. So for me, that's, that's a big thing.
0: We're, we're so excited that you uh, that you invited us in. It, what a wonderful con- conversation. It's nice that we can share this, but it was just good to, hey, if it, if it all goes away, we just had a really nice conversation right now. It was just real, really wonderful talking to you. you know I mean? It's like, you're a great person to talk to. I really love the work you do. I think you really helped me personally a lot when I was starting out because of this resource because you've created a resource for people that that. You know, I don't know if that's what you set out to do, um, but like that, that, that uh, people that are interested and maybe they don't follow, maybe they listen to it and don't follow through with their dream, you know what I mean? But whatever, that, that you create a resource to allow other people to, uh, some insight into how this, how this industry works and, and, and how you can be a part of it if you want to, and, um, and and a bit of the culture of it, you know? And, um, especially when I first started listening to you there, you wasn't, there weren't a lot of other resources like that out there, you know? Um, so, uh, thank you for doing it for as long as you have and, 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 um, you continue to, to be a wonderful, uh, insight in our, in our community, man. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you guys. And now I will go with the head up for a whole week and I feel like I'm something special. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's uh, I think this podcast uh, turned out to be something much more than I anticipated in the beginning. In the beginning, I just wanted to learn. And that was the easiest way how you could approach a professional, you know, like somebody who does it for many years. I mean, if I would go to, you know, many, well, to you is different. But if I would go to some other person and say, hey, tell me your secrets, they could like, you know, back off. But if I say, hey, I have a podcast, tell me your secrets. <laughs> it works differently. Before we end this podcast, uh let the people know where they can find you.
0: So our uh, website is cafedeleche.net. And uh, you can also reach me at matt at cafedeleche.net.
1: In any case, I'll put all these links, the, the website, the email, your Instagram, because that's pretty awesome. I love your stuff that you do Instagram into the show notes. So just go to coffee's me website and you'll find all those links in the show notes. Thank you guys for staying with us. I hope you guys enjoyed yourself as much as we did on this podcast and talk to you next time. Bye.